Welcome to MRCS on the Move. Bowels, bones, and backseat vibers. I'm your host, Naomi, but this is the podcast where you do the talking. Hello, folks. How are we doing today? It is a pleasure to be back with you. I hope that uh, all is well, that you are getting stuck into your revision, but also enjoying some other fun things in life too. I've just received my most recent gin box subscription, which had a lovely gin from a place called the River Test Distillery. I promise you this is no sponsorship, although if you would like to mention me in where you heard of them, that is fine. I will not complain. <laughs> they can send me free bottles whenever they'd like. It's lovely. It's really, really lovely. Uh, but anyway, Cracking on, we're going to talk about burns today, uh, go through what I hope is the majority of what you would need to know, especially for part B for burns. Question number one, what is a burn? So burn simply is an injury to a tissue caused by heat, friction, electricity, radiation or chemicals. What different types of burns are there? And give some examples of each. Kind of giving you the answer to this question, but it's just another question they might ask. Different types of burns then include chemical burns. So that would involve acid or alkaline burns. By what mechanisms do acid and alkaline burns burn? So acids cause damage through coagulative necrosis, whereas alkaline cause damage through liquidative necrosis. The next type of burn is a thermal burn, probably the most commonly encountered burn. This is due to excess heat or extreme cold. So examples include flames, hot water, contact with radiators. Now the degree of the burn depends on the temperature encountered, the duration of exposure, the location of contact, the age and any first aid received. The third type of burn would be your electrical burn. It can be low or high voltage, um, say from household uh, appliances or from industrial exposure. High voltage is more associated with systemic injuries, including renal failure, muscle necrosis, compartment syndrome, cardiac dysrhythmias. Radiation is your final type of burn, and that's from UV radiation, i.e. sunburns, or ionizing radiation, which may be from medical or nuclear accidents. Okie dokie, can you tell me of anything about the epidemiology of burns? So there's roughly 10,000 hospital admissions every year, about 600 deaths from burns per year. Adults, the usual mechanism is by fire, or the most common mechanism. Children, the most common mechanism is from scalding accidents. Maybe associated with alcohol, abuse, 
epilepsy or psychiatric problems. And mortality is related to older people, so those older, older than 50. Greater total body surface areas, so greater than 40%. The burn depth and a delay in any resuscitation received. Can you describe the pathophysiology of a burn? The effects of a burn can be seen locally and systemically. Locally, they're described by the Jackson's burn module in which the burn is divided into three zones, which make it look like a target in artery. So your central zone where you get the most points slash most damage is your zone of coagulative necrosis. This is central area which is closest to the heat source. Immediate coagulation of cellular proteins results in death, cellular death. Surrounding that, so your next zone, is your zone of stasis. So this is an area of inflammation and possible ischemia due to tissue hypoperfusion. Now the hypoperfusion is from damage to the microcirculation. Now this area is potentially salvageable depending on the quality of resuscitation. So this is your bit you can save. Then surrounding that, the outside zone is your zone of hyperemia. And that's got basically inflammatory mediators lead to widespread vasodilation and capillary leakage. So you get your erythema, you get edema, and this contributes to your overall hypovolemia in burns. Secondary to a burn, you get this release of your inflammatory mediators, which does lead to this vasodilation, capillary permeability, and interstitial edema. There is increased capillary hydrostatic pressure, decreased tissue hydrostatic pressure, and increased tissue osmotic pressure. So that's mainly due to albumin leaking out into the interstitium, and that's what draws all that fluid out of the intravascular space to increase tissue osmotic pressure. What are some important mediators in burns? Inflammatory mediators. So some examples would include histamine, that leads to capillary permeability, Prostaglandin E2, which can cause vasodilation and increased permeability. Bradykinins, leukokines, and serotonin. Now, key question. How would you classify a burn? So they can be classified by the cause, as we've already talked about, but more commonly, you're probably going to classify them by the depth. So we've got superficial, which is only your epidermis is involved. Then partial thickness, which is further divided into superficial deep, 
which is your epidermis and upper dermis, and then your, oh, sorry, I said that wrong, didn't I? Your superficial partial, and then your deep partial, sorry. So your superficial partial is your epidermis and upper dermis, and your deep partial is your, where it extends into the deeper layers of your dermis. And then last of all, your full thickness. And this is all the dermis is involved, and it may involve the underlying tissue. Uh, sorry, I said that wrong. So you've got superficial, superficial partial, superficial deep, and full thickness. Tell me about some classical features of each depth. So starting with superficial, you're gonna get some erythema. You're gonna have normal capillary refill. It's gonna be painful. They're your main things, and no blistering. So they heal by epithelialization from the remaining epidermis. Then you've got your superficial partial. This is the one where you get blistering. The skin's still pink, and you'll still get your capillary refill time. Your deep partial, the skin's more of a red color. Your capillary refill time will blanch and refill but might be a bit delayed. It's still painful, but there may be some areas of less pain, less painful because of damage to the nerve endings. Full thickness, they are not painful. You've not got a sorry, <laughs> capillary refill time, and they are white and leathery. How would you describe a burn as part of your assessment? So if your consultant rung you, you were trying to tell them what this burn was like, what would, would you, how would you describe it? So it's another way, maybe a bit more of a clinical way of asking what we've already gone over and with some additional information but you would describe it as the depth and then you describe it as the extent of the burn and that is described as percentage total body surface area now there are three methods that you you we can use to describe the total body surface area or calculate it and these are go ahead for me So they are the patient's palm, which is 1%. The Wallace rule of nine. So this will fit different parts of your body into 9%. So each arm, the whole arm is 9%. Each leg is 18%. So anterior is 9%, posterior is 9%. Your head is 9%. Your anterior trunk is 18%, so two nines. Your posterior trunk is 18%, another two nines. And your perineum is 1%. And the 
final method is the Lund and Browder charts. These are thought to be more accurate and they're reversions for paediatrics and adults. Right, time for a break. Here's a little tune. Sit back, relax and enjoy for a minute. the music then do let me know as I said I want to tailor this to <clears throat> how you guys like it and what you find helpful so do get in touch if you have any feedback I'm more than open to it so this second half we're going to look a bit more at the management of burns it might be a bit itty bitty here and there jumping back and forward between some certain things but I hope we get the overview okay the first question, broad question, what is the initial management of a Burns patient? I'm not sure which approach you took, but maybe you talked about straight into ATLS principles, A, B, C, D, E, which we'll run through, or maybe you went for a bit of, ah, oh, first aid at the scene, this is some of the things we need to do, but um, either way, maybe have a think about how you would phrase that answer. To start with sort of first aid initial things, obviously we are gonna follow the ATLS principle, but um, you wanna ensure safety of the victim or the injured person, the patient, <laughs> probably the word, uh, and yourself. Remove the causative agent, so some really key to get the fire away. Uh, remove clothing, remove jewellery, um, and any ir and irrigation with cold water, not icy water, um, is really important. So then for us, the immediate management in the hospital, and if, if your scenario, say, is you're in A&E recess and a patient's been brought in after a severe house fire, you're not going to be removing the causative agent, are you? So just tailor it to the... The scenario. As um, any other trauma patient, you need to apply your ATLS principles. So you start with your airway. What are you going to think about with A? You're going to assess their airway and thinking particularly about any signs of inhalation injury or burns around the mouth or face or um, oral cavity. 
So think about the history. Are they likely to have an inhalation injury? Are there any facial burns, singed ha uh, nasal hairs? Is their voice hoarse? Is there any soot coming out of their mouth? Do they have a strider or a brassy cough? If they have any of these, or if in any doubt you need an anaesthetist and they need to be intubated, their maximum edema can take 12 to 36 hours to develop. So they could be impending on an airway obstruction. So they need intubating. Okay, breathing, B. What are you gonna do for B? So simple things, any patient will need, you'll need to know their saturations and their respiratory rate. They'll need 15 litres of non-rebreathe oxygen. You want to look at their chest, look for any sign of mechanical restriction to circumferential burns, which may restrict their, um, their respiration. This may require an uh, what? What may it may require? An escarotomy, absolutely. Smoke inhalation may lead to carbon dioxide poisoning. So you need to look for signs of carbon dioxide poisoning. And you may do a bronchoscopy to look for further damage to their airway. So why is carbon dioxide poisonous? There's a higher affinity with hemoglobin than oxygen does to form carboxyhemoglobin. Its affinity is about 250 times that of oxygen. So oxygen has pretty much no chance in the presence of carbon monoxide. So the oxygen dissociation curve, our favorite friend, um, shifts to the left. So less oxygen is delivered to the tissues and causes hypoxia. What are signs of carbon monoxide poisoning? So headaches, nausea, drowsiness, disorientation, agitation, hallucinations, convulsions, and coma, and eventually death. How do you treat carbon monoxide poisoning? Give them high flow, 100% oxygen. Right. Circulation, what are you going to do in circulation? So you're going to establish, establish a good IV access, preferably in tissue that is not damaged. You can take off some bloods, FBC, UEC, coagulation, groups and saves. And you're going to assess the need for fluid replacement and monitoring. So insert a catheter. When do you replace fluid in adults and children? So adults need fluid resuscitation when they have greater than 20% of deep, partial or full thickness burns and children is greater than 10%. What fluid regime are you going to use to treat a burn? The Parkland formula. formula. Uh, yes. So, percent total body surface area times the weight of the patient in kilograms times two to four mils of fluid. 
How do you give it? You give it over the first half over eight hours and the second half over 16 hours. So disability, what are you gonna do disability or think about? So their temperature and their alertness, AVPU score. And then exposure, what are some things you might consider in exposure? So you're gonna do a full examination, head to toe, expose them, but keep them warm, remember? Consider analgesia you might give them, so IV morphine. Um, and then you need to make sure you've assessed that total body surface area, that you've got that right. You're gonna move on to your secondary survey. And here, you're gonna to want to consider preventing hypothermia, preventing stress ulcers. What is the name of the stress ulcer that you get in burns? A curling's ulcer. You need to pop in an NG tube and start to consider nutrition and they might require a tetanus jab. Antibiotics are not normally given unless there is obvious infection. And again, need to consider the need for an escarotomy of the chest or any circumferential burns anywhere else on the limbs. Okay, who would you transfer to a regional burns unit? So you need to think about the amount of burn, where the burn is, the type of burn, and some things about the patient itself, themselves. So full thickness burns greater than 5%. Partial thickness burns in an adult greater than 10% or in a child greater than 5 Then location, so burns to the face, the hands, the feet, the perineum, the genitalia, and any major joints. The type of burn, so chemical and electrical burns get transferred, circumferential burns get transferred, and any burns in um, the presence of other major trauma, or if the burn is a non-accidental injury. So there's some characteristics about the burn. And then in the very young, the very old, or the pregnant. Do you know a formula to calculate someone's prognosis? It's called the ball chart formula. And it's basically age plus total body surface area should be less than 100. If it's greater than 100, they've got less than 20% survival. Okay, can you run me through some systemic effects that can be seen in burns. We've touched on a few of these in various areas. So we'll start from air, like airway and breathing. So respiratory, they're at risk of ARDS secondary to an inflammatory response and you get your edema. Then from C, so cardiac point of view, they get reduced cardiac output, partly due to a decreased venous return and inadequate preload and a decreased contractility and increased afterload. 
Now they also get hypovolemic um, and the burns can lead to shock, hypertension, tachycardia and increased systemic vascular resistance and this reduces, contributes to the um, reduced cardiac output. And partly because of their hypoperfusion they can get end organ failure and renal failure particularly, so they, they get acute tubular necrosis. That can also be associated with myoglobin and rhabdomyolysis, which leads to the acute tubular necrosis. They get a systemic inflammatory response syndrome, which again leads to your organ dysfunction. They can develop sepsis. They get a hypermetabolic state with release of stress hormones, including catecholamines and cortisol. And stress response can, res can result in your gastric ulcers. Okay, they also can become hypothermic due to skin loss, which is obviously attributed to our thermoregulation. They can get hemolysis and coagulopathies, which leads to di. Well, it's caused by DIC and hypothermia. Okay, so that was quite a lot of information. So respiratory ARDS, reduced cardiac output hypothermia, hypermetabolic states, um, renal function and end organ dysfunction, sepsis, coagulopathies, oh, and I didn't mention, sorry, um, electrolyte disturbances, so they can get hyponatremic or hypernatremic, hyperkalemic or hypocalcemic. Right, final question. What are some key surgical managements of burns? Tangential excision, which is the removal of necrotic skin in slices until you reach healthy tissue. And then closure of burn wounds is normally by split skin autographs. But if that's not available because of extensive burn, like you can use cavitheric skin or um, grafts or skin substitutes. Okay, I'm sorry that was a long episode. Um, I hope, it's, that's not a small topic though, is it? So there you go. Um, cool, uh, thank you very much guys. Pleasure to be with you again. Do keep listening and keep working hard. Well done, you're doing a smashing job. I will speak to you soon. Ta-ta for now, bye-bye. Oh, well, a dim bone, dim bone, dim, dry bone.